Side Church. We're glad you're here. Just give it up for making it here on a Sunday morning. I know it's kind of tough for some of us, but uh, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here with our family. And uh, along with family, we do uh, want to make a couple of announcements and just prayer requests. Uh, we have three members of our family who um, have been in the hospital recently or have had surgery. Uh, Jack Goldberg, PJ Smith, and uh, Wendy Billings. And so we want to definitely keep them in our hearts and in our prayers Amen. as they're recovering from their surgeries and, uh, and hospital stays. Um, and at this time, we're actually going to take a contribution. Um, so those are going to be uh, passing down the aisles. And this is just for um, those who call the Westside Church home. If you're a Christian and a member of this church, uh, we definitely want to encourage you to participate in the, the blessing of giving and the act of giving because um, it helps us meet in a cool place like this and, uh, and that we can reach our community here in the west side. So I'm going to go ahead and pray. Um, if you'd like to go arm in arm or hold someone's hand, uh, while we pray, we'll go ahead and do that. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much, God, just for the blessings that we have to worship freely in this country. Uh, God, that we can come together and, and gather and, uh, and read the Bible, listen to the Bible being taught, um, and, and take it away for... Uh, application in our daily lives, Lord. We're so grateful to be part of this Westside Church family. Uh, and as part of our family, we want to lift up to you in prayer those who are uh, recovering from illness or who are recovering from surgery um, and just aren't doing very well uh, physically. And maybe some of us um, in this room aren't doing well either. And Lord, we just want to lift these people up to you, Father. Specifically, uh, Jack Goldberg and, and PJ and, uh, and Wendy. Father, I pray that you would just put your hand upon them, Lord, that they would feel comforted and, uh, Lord, that we as a, as a church family would also wrap our arms around um, our family members, Lord. Be with us today and be with the, the service. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would be with Tim as he preaches the word powerfully today. Uh, Lord, that our hearts would be moved uh, by the word. Lord, we love you so much and we pray all of these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. of our church. Uh, her name is Betty Collins. She wrote this song. Um, it's called You Are My Everything. And the verse is our call and response. So I'll sing a line um, and then you'll respond and then sing the same line. And then the chorus is all together. That's pretty easy to pick up. Beyond my frailty, beyond my frailty, 
myself with you you know me so well no mask I wear with you oh you are you are the love of my soul you are the one who makes whole you are my everything you are all right you guys got it sounds great you say I'm perfectly made. You say I'm covered in grace. Unconditionally loved. My sin recalled no more. I can hear your voice in the still of the night. You reveal the cause. For my life, oh, you are, you are the love of my soul. You are the one who makes whole. You are my everything. You are. You hold my heart in your hand. You hold my heart in your hand. Speak to me tenderly, and I am unafraid. Your love for me runs deep. I let my God down. Cause I'm safe with you, and in your presence I found a greater refuge. Oh, you. Please be seated. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, I want to welcome everyone uh, once again to uh, service. My name is Shidi Njoku. I'm going to be leading our thoughts in communion. Um, if you're visiting today, I'm oh, you can't hear me. Can you hear me now? All right. There we go. All right. So if you're visiting with us today, this is a point in service where we uh, share communion with one another. You know, if you've had other um, church experiences, you know, lots of different churches have many different uh, tradition, traditional ways that they like to uh, celebrate this time. But here at our uh, church, how we prefer to do it is each week we have a time where someone comes up and shares some thoughts or experiences from their lives that relate back to Jesus. And uh, I've been chosen to do that for us this morning. So, uh, as I was saying, my name is Shidi Njoku. Um, I want to share a, a, an experience I had just recently. Um, our family and I, we went on a, a road trip up north. Um, did the RV thing and, you know, got a chance to see some really cool spots and, you know, got into some great campsites. And 
Uh, those of you that know me well, you know that camping is not my thing. Not my thing at all. Uh, I don't particularly care for sleeping in the dirt. I don't really care for the, the wild animals or any of that good stuff. Uh, but in an RV, I figured manageable. So we get up to Santa Cruz, and you know we're up in this spot where there's you know these beautiful redwoods. I've never seen redwoods before in my life. So I was thinking, oh, this is great. Um, we went for a walk, you know, one day, and you know thought it was so amazing. And so me and my son Isaiah decided, okay, we're gonna get up, and next morning we're gonna go for a run. It's gonna be great. Um, next morning Isaiah wasn't feeling too much like getting up, so Dad decided to go do it solo. It's about 6:30, quarter till. Um, got up, went walking through the campsite. No one, no one had even thought about waking up that morning at that particular point in time. So I'm just the only person just wandering the campsite. I get down to, uh, there's a little riverbed. It's about 20 feet long. Got to cross it by walking. Up. You can either walk through it or you can tread across the trees, just these two dead trees. Now I uh, decided to tread across the trees because I didn't want my feet wet and I liked my shoes, so I didn't really want to get them wet either. So I get to walking across the trees, and you can get, a, you get about 10, 17, or it's about 17 feet across, and then there's a stretch where there's nothing to hold on to. You just got to balance. And so I, you know, I get, get there, and I'm, you know, balance myself, get my thoughts together. I figure, okay, there's just a few feet. I'm just going, I'm just going to power through this real quick and get on the way. So get myself steady, I take two steps, and then I'm like, okay, let's go. So I, I, I start to go, and, and my momentum shot my feet right out from under me. So my feet went this way, the rest of me went this way, I slammed on the tree, I hit in the water, I pushed myself up, then my, my shoes went in the water. <laughs> so then I just run through real quick and jump in the bushes, because I figure if, it, I don't, if anybody did see me, <laughs> I didn't want to drag that moment out too long. So I'm like, okay, you know, this is a great beginning, um, but I'm already committed. I, I mean, my only choice is to go back through that water, and I wasn't trying to do that at that moment. So I go for my run, you know, and I'm off in the woods, and it's, you know, for those outdoorsy folks, you know, this might have been a magical moment. You know, there's, <laughs> there's, there's mist, and there's trees, and it's quiet, and there's animals. Um, and I'm just, you know, okay, I'm just going to block this out. I'm just going to get my run in. So I'm doing my thing. And I come to a fork in the road. I hit, you know, the first fork, I go left. The next, I come to three forks. So I just alternated my turns. I figure if I go left, right, left, and then just reverse that on the way back, I should be good. So I did the left, right, left thing. And after the last one, I come and I hit a bend, and I come up on this little stretch here where the foliage gets a little thicker. The path is starting to head down into a little ravine. It's a little darker down there. Mist is a little thicker. And you know, this is that moment in the movies <laughs> where, exactly, you, you go, and that's when you start talking to the screen, you're like, you shouldn't go in there. <laughs> Don't do that. And, you know, and I always, you know, we, we always joke at the house and, you know, and I'm always like, yeah, if I was in that movie, that'd be the time where I turned around. Well, this was that time where I turned around. So I turned myself around and I head right on back. And so coming back, I, I thought I did my right, left, right thing, you know, just reversing what I did coming. But 
before I knew it, I, I, did, I made one turn and I looked and I, and I thought I kind of remembered the landmarks, but then I realized that this tree looks like that tree, looks like that tree. I ain't got no help. And don't nobody know where I'm at. So I just got to find my way because I haven't seen any sign of life in, you know, a while. Um, so, you know, it's one of those times where I'm sitting there and I'm like, how on earth did I end up here? Um, and, you know, so oftentimes in life we have those moments where you're sitting there and you're like, how? Here? Really? You know, you, husbands, you can relate. You know, late at, late at night, about to crash, and the wife walks in. Hey, can we talk real quick? Uh-oh, oh, it's right. Hour and a half later, a few tears shed, and you're sitting there upset, and like, how did I end up here? <laughs> or maybe it's, you know, a, a, a life situation. Got a sentence plaguing you. And you've been fighting so hard to avoid it. And then the moment of truth comes, and you stumble. And it's like, how did I end up here again? You know, a relationship, a friendship where you fought so hard to make it something great and then for whatever reason it turns and then there's all this heartbreak and angst and all these feelings and it just, it just hurts. And you ask yourself, how did we end up here? And you know, these are the moments in life where communion becomes so powerful for me because it really draws me back to the fact that, you know, in those moments where I find myself asking myself that question, I know that there's someone who can guide me through it, who can help me through it. Look in Colossians 1, verse 16 through 20. The Bible reads, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and, and, through, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." And communion is a time where I am reminded of the fact that through my baptism that I've been bound with Christ, Amen. that I've been bound with the incredible man that's written about right here, you know, our creator, our Lord and Savior, the one that in those moments where it feels darkest, where it feels so lonely, so painful, or alternatively, in those moments where it just feels just, just excited, you know, where that, how did I get here question is, uh, man, how did I get here? This is, oh my goodness. Man. And there's someone that can share that and knows exactly how you feel. You know, that is willing and able to walk with you in such a way that, you know, it just, it just feels good to know that you're not alone. And so when I come to communion, this is what I'm reminded of, the relationship that I share with my Lord, with our Lord. And so as we get ready to pass the trays, be mindful of who Jesus is in your moment right now. Maybe you're on that, how did I get here moment. 
Jesus knows. And he's there to guide you through. Or maybe you're on that, ha, how did I get here? He gets it too. And he's there to celebrate with you. So wherever you are in your journey through your path, know that as we share communion right now, we get to share with the author and creator of all that we know and love. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we appreciate so much being able to fellowship with you in this way. We thank you so much for your son, for his life, for the sacrifices that he made for each and every one of us, for the example that he uh, put before us, and for the relationship that we get to share with you. We thank you that you walk with us, that you share with us this life. And we pray as we take communion right now that we, our hearts might be full of gratitude for the fact that you are here with us, that you watch over us, you love us, you fill our lives with compassion, grace, and love. We thank you so much. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. This gift of love and 
righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as jesus died the wrath of god was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of christ i body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me. I am his, and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death, and this is the power of Christ in me, from life's first cry. To final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hands till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ. I stand till he returns, till he returns, or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I stand. Amen. Go ahead and be stand. Go ahead and stand. <laughs> be standing. All right. We'll sing one more song, and uh, Tim will come up and preach the word to us.
Take me as you find me And all my fears and failures And fill my life again I give my life to follow Everything I believe in Now I surrender Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Forever, the author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Savior, my Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the Shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Everyone, shine your light. Shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Savior, my Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save, He is mighty to save forever, author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave, Jesus conquered the grave. Amen. Please welcome Tim. everybody. Am I on? Great. So um, last week, uh, a dear brother, Devon Smith, actually uh, spoke for us. And uh, if you're new to our fellowship, uh, we are currently a community that is in the process of finding a full-time minister. So to kind of bridge the gap until we find somebody, uh, some of our good-hearted members uh, have uh, volunteered to speak, and last week Devon got up. Is Devon here this morning? Anywhere? Okay. He did a wonderful job. He uh, actually creatively started off 
with a uh, little rendition of a game show right here in church. He did The Price is Right, and uh, he made an incredibly uh, creative spiritual parallel uh, to what things are worth and what we are worth to God. And it, it was really brilliant. And it got me so inspired, I started thinking, you know, next week... I'm going to get up there, and, and following Devon is inspiring but challenging because he does such a great job. I thought, yeah, I can do the same thing. I can use my favorite game show, and, and we can make a spiritual parallel. We can get people up and get people engaged. But then I, 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 it hit me. Um, family feud might not be well-received, so this morning, no game show. Sorry about that. As a community, as a community of believers, we are on a journey to try to build a family, a family that, that cares and is connected and has compassion. And we're on the journey. We, we certainly haven't arrived. Uh, we're taking steps, though. And, and part of that is praying for each other. We try to pray publicly. We try to pray in small groups. We try to pray individually for each other. Uh, part of praying for each other is also communicating to each other what our needs are, right? We, we want to communicate so that we can think of and pray for each other. And uh, so you'll notice I mean, we, we do try to incorporate prayer a good deal in our fellowship. Um, but we're not always perfect. Uh, you'll notice sometimes you might feel sick, feel down, want prayers, and, and, and not feel like people are concerned or, or praying like we should. I invite you to continue to communicate your needs. Help us on our journey to care more, to connect more, to pray for you more. Um, I, I do want to, uh, as we begin, pray for a sister um, that's been having a lot of challenges uh, over the last few weeks and months and, and even years. Um, a dear friend of mine, uh, Wendy Billings, uh, she is a sister actually that um, uh, my wife and I baptized about the time we were married, about uh, 15 or so years ago. Uh, we both went down to uh, the ocean and together baptized Wendy. Uh, into Christ. She is a sister. Uh, she hasn't really been able to come in several months uh, regularly, but she has just had a lot of challenges. She's currently in the hospital, and I wanted to begin this morning praying for her. Uh, please join me. Our Father in heaven, we come to you and ask that you can help us be the community, the fellowship, that brings your kingdom, your love, your grace to this earth. Father, we pray that we could reach out to each other and reach out to our community to love and bring your love. Father, we want to bring before you one of our members, Wendy Billings. We ask, I know so many of us have been involved trying to help her in her health issues in, with her emotions, and I just ask you that you would heal her body, get her in a healthy place physically. I pray that you would heal her mind and her thinking. I pray that you would heal her heart, help her to feel the way you want her to feel. I pray that you would heal her wholeness. 
And uh, we just want to present her to you that you would bestow blessing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, a few weeks ago, my kids, my uh, 10-year-old daughter, Alex, and 5-year-old son, Boston, were both brokenhearted to discover that their only pet had died. His name was Shadow. He'd been with us three years, and he was a betta fish. Now, in case you don't know, betta fish are the ones that sit in a bowl or even a little glass and just sit there and don't do a lot, don't move a lot. They just enjoy sitting there. I mean, it it actually probably took us a while to discover that this particular non-movement was, in fact, a death event. (laughs) So we took him on out into the backyard, and uh, I dug a small hole. We gathered around and delivered shadow to the dust from whence he came, right? Actually, we just dumped the contents of his bowl in the hole. Then we related some meaningful experiences that we had shared with Shadow over his much too brief yet shining lifetime. It's funny how sometimes you don't really appreciate someone until they're taken from you for good. We shared that Shadow was our first pet and who t- he taught the kids how to take care of someone who's not yourself. Boston literally was, he was wailing with grief. He was crying out. I just didn't know he was going to die. So the crazy thing is, uh, we considered Shadow our first pet, but uh, the problem is, Nancy actually had gone Uh, to the store and brought home two betta fish before we ever had Shadow. Uh, However, they never lasted more than two weeks before expiring, so we never actually considered them truly part of our family. But were it not for Nancy's determined character, she might have recognized, you know, some unhealthy patterns and, and not bought fish number three, and uh, which my daughter affectionately named Shadow. So we're grateful that Nancy had conviction that we could have a pet that's a part of our family. So I've brought uh, this morning Shadow's bowl uh, because it really serves a purpose uh, for what I, a story I want to share with you. Um, not so much to honor him, although, you know, rest in peace. <laughs> I I did not kill him so I could use the bowl either, okay? (laughs) I'm excited to share with you a very short but very interesting story from Israel's history. It took place around 850 B.C. And uh, it's taken from 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. Let's go ahead and read together. The people of the city said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, this town is well situated as you can see. But the water is bad, and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. 
Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. All right? So very short story right in the middle of the Old Testament. And, you know, it kind of moves on. You ever read a story in the Bible and you just kind of look at it and say, I don't get it. And you just kind of move on, right? This is one of those little stories, never really referred to again. But uh, recently I've done some thinking and I've learned a lot and I wanted to present that to you. The city that it's talking about here is Jericho. Now Jericho, if you know anything about the Old Testament, had a very interesting history. Centuries earlier, about 1451 B.C., the Israelite leader, Joshua, had conquered the city of Jericho with basically nothing more than a marching band that had a particularly intimidating trombone section. Right? You won't find this battle in any war manuals as an example of successful wartime strategy. I mean, it wasn't so much the Battle of the Bulge, right, as it was the Battle of the Bugle. Um, you'll have to read the story. It's, it's, it's very interesting. It takes place in Joshua chapter 6. But I'm going to read after he conquered the city. In verse 26, it says this. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. So Joshua cursed the city. With a very specific curse. Anyone who tried to rebuild it would be cursed. You go against this curse, your firstborn son will die. And back in their culture back then, the firstborn was the one who carried on the family name. So this curse was a direct affront against the thing that they held most dear to them, their family's heritage. Jericho had a history. A history of a curse. About 550 years after this, someone determined to go against that curse. In 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34, says, In Ahab's time, Heel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Abiram. And he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Sigub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. So King Ahab in the scriptures again and again was called an evil king, right? He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And here he sends one of his leaders to go and rebuild the city, Jericho. He took the curse head on. And lost. Now, the idea of a curse is something that these people back then were very familiar with. They related to their God by blessings, 
and curses. Now, today, when we hear about curses, we tend to think it might be a horror movie, it might be a superstitious cultural belief of a primitive society. It's voodoo magic, right? We may not fully understand what it was like to live with this as your reality or your potential reality. But that's okay. I want us to just kind of look at this story and let the story just be what it is. Let the weirdness just sit there a bit and then later on we'll come back and perhaps make some sense of it later, okay? Now in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 28, this is the uh, fifth uh, book of the Bible, um, it actually describes a series of blessings and curses. I want to read the first couple of verses here. It says, If you fully obey the Lord your God, carefully follow all His commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you on high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. So, the first 15 verses here talk about the blessings God would bestow if they followed Him. If you follow God, things will go well. Uh, it, it, he, he talks about you'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. The crops of your land, the young of your livestock, the calves of your herd, the lambs of your flock. Very specific blessings, goodness to the people. But then... At verse 15, he starts talking about if you disobey God, you will be cursed. So looking at verse 15, it says, However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. And then he goes through a series of verses which are very intense. Verse 16 says, you'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Verse 18 says, the fruit of your womb will be cursed. Crops of your land will be cursed. And, and it keeps going. It gets more uh, specific and worse as it goes on. Verse 21, the Lord will plague you with diseases. In verse 22, he says, he will afflict you with weakness, with fever, with inflammation, with infection, with sword, with blight, with mildew, right? This is before they had Clorox scrubbing bubbles, bathroom cleaner. <laughs> Verse 28 says, the Lord will subject you to madness, blindness, confusion of mind. Verse 29, your mobile phone internet will have spotty 4G coverage, <laughs> right? The, just specific, bad, curse. There's 14 verses of blessing at the beginning, and then the curses just go on and on and on through verse 68. Craziness. So, but a couple chapters later, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 3, he says this. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you, and you take them to heart, in verse 3, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. 
whenever you turn back to God, you will be restored. So while there are many consequences for walking away from God, the day you come back, you are home. All the curses are gone. So if you think about all this history uh, and culture of curses would have been woven into their consciousness back then and their worldview of how they saw their city, their home, their community. Have you ever gone to a company party or maybe a family reunion and you just felt there's a tension in the air, there's a weirdness or an uncomfortability that you just can't put your finger on, you just feel it. Then someone comes up and says, oh, yeah, 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 let me give you the back story on that. And they might explain why there's just tension in the air. There's a lot more going on below the surface. This is what Elisha is walking into. Jericho had a toxic, tense, violent backstory swirling around it. So he asks for a new bowl with salt in it. The word new here in the Hebrew language is hadash. Hadash. The word has all sorts of meaning beyond just being a recently created object. The word is used as rebuild, like a temple or an altar. Uh, it's used as repair, like repairing a wall or a city. It's used as renew, like a renewed life, a renewed spirit, a renewed heart. It's used in new songs to communicate new covenants and new mercies. The word has all sorts of depth. So we have a new bowl filled with salt. Salt was a part of their ritual sacrificial system. You find mention of it again and again in the Hebrew Scriptures. It had symbolic value to their culture back then. It was used in reference to a covenant or the agreement that being no matter how bad it gets, you can always return to God. Leviticus 2.13 talks about the salt of the covenant. Numbers 18, verse 19, talks about an everlasting covenant of salt. And 2 Chronicles 13, 5 talks about the covenant of salt. These passages refer to what was common in their culture when they thought about salt. So the covenant, again, no matter how much you've messed up, how many destructive choices you've made, how many regrets you've accumulated, no matter how seriously you've lost your way, no matter how many other gods you've worshipped, you can always return. You can always come home. Now, we are tactile, kinesthetic beings. Last month, Tony Newsome, who's a part of our small group, uh, led a, he led a fantastic four-week discussion for our family group on the different ways that we learn, the different learning styles, and how understanding how we learn allows us to connect better to each other. So he talked about four or five different unique learning styles. Now, one of these styles is uh, tactile, 
or similarly, kinesthetic learning. It is the learning or, or perceiving through uh, the sense of touch. Things that are tangible allow us to learn better. Now, we all learn using this style, some more than others. But we sometimes need physical things to remind us of deeper spiritual realities, right? Salt had a symbolic power to remind you that no matter where you found yourself, you could always return home. God would renew, restore, and rebuild. So Elisha takes the new bowl, takes the salt, and he throws it into the water. Here's a picture of the spring in Jericho almost 3,000 years after he did that. He steps into a situation which is toxic with a very complicated history and he tells them that the Lord says, I have healed this water. Now some scholars put it that as he puts the salt into that spring, he effectively ushers in a whole new era for these people. For Elisha, history doesn't decide. It simply describes. Our history describes what we've done, who we've been with, the mistakes we've made, the abuses we've endured, but it does not decide our future. It doesn't define who we're destined to be. But yet, many people, it does, def uh, how many people does their past decide who they expect to be? Do you know anyone like that? But what does Elisha here think of Joshua's curse? Now, Joshua was a leader of God's people. He was a man of God. I mean, his verse, his curse was right there in the scriptures. What does Elisha think? He comes on in. You might say for Elisha, curses are made to be broken. For Elisha, a new word can always be spoken. If you think the future is going to be this way because I've seen it in the past and it always happens, I think a new word can be spoken. So we can think we don't experience curses in our daily lives. We, we, these things that don't have anything to do with our world today. But you can make a very strong parallel between the curses that they experienced and lived with their reality and the phrases we may commonly hear or perhaps even tell ourselves, such as, I just can't get a break. This always happens to me. Like I expected anything else. It's inevitable. Just my luck. And think about it. What kind of luck are we talking? You, you have luck, you don't have luck, you have a certain kind of luck. It's superstition. It's ways of thinking. Cursed ways of viewing our world. 
we, see, we can see past events in our lives and feed, that feed a narrative that's just, it's negative, it's destructive. Things that can be harmful or hurtful or discouraging that happen to us just continue to feed that view. And it's interesting, we can selectively take bits and pieces of our story that feed a negative narrative. But we could just as easily choose other pieces of the same story and craft another narrative altogether, one with a whole different feeling. I guess you could say, what we believe matters. What we believe matters. Now, when we talk about belief in terms of faith or in terms of our church, we tend to think about doctrinal issues, right? We think about what divides maybe one church from another, what makes us right or makes us wrong. But when you look at belief as the narrative that we tell ourselves, this this determines the choices that we make each and every day, the thousands of just little decisions that determine and shape our character, our relationships, our actions, our future. If we have this kind of belief that this kind of thing, it always happens to me. This will deeply shape the way we interpret events. It colors the way we see the world. So when things come along that confirm that point of view, our minds elevate that event to prove what we were already believing. But we do so at the expense of other experiences that are just as true but might not reinforce our belief, our narrative. How you believe, how you believe deeply shapes the way you interpret the world and the way you respond. It affects how we see other people and what we expect from the situations we're in. If you believe that you are unlovable, unclean, unworthy, impure at your core, it will shape how you interact with people. When you're in a situation where you might be able to give love to others, your belief will be shaping that interaction. When Jesus came on the scene, he often talked about and called people to repent. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. Now, the language of the New Testament is Greek. And the Greek word we have for repent is metanoia. Metanoia. It means literally to think about things in a whole new way. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It says we take captive every thought. This, these are the stories, the narratives that we tell ourselves. We need to catch ourselves when we start thinking something like, just my luck. It's inevitable. Hey, what did I just say? 
What does that really mean? Is it shaping my future? One of my favorite passages is Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I want to read it. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This says that when we have a clear view of God's mercy, that covenant that we can always return home, we have a God that loves us. It will prompt us to live our lives as worship. And it will prompt us to be transformed by renewal of our mind. Jesus wants to take those negative, superstitious, cursed, toxic narratives. He wants to break in to our mind. And drag those thoughts out into the light so that you don't live according to those kind of beliefs anymore. As Christians, we are living our lives of worship. We have divine power. To, uh, and, and we have good promises that can transform how we think. Jesus wants to enter in and calls you to repent. To think of things in a whole new way. Elisha was called in to a bad story. He asks for salt in a bowl. He throws it into the water. And with that causes a whole new way of thinking. Leave behind. Turn from that. See it in a whole new way. Jesus wants to start, I believe, a whole new era where you don't live according to those thoughts and those patterns. If you've perhaps abused substances, abused others, abused yourself, if you've been abused, Jesus wants to go there and cause us to think about those things in a whole new way. For me personally, I've been married now 15 years to my lovely wife, Nancy. Amen. In 15 years, I've noticed something. I know that there are times, there are patches we go through where we feel stuck. Where they, there may be negative patterns. At times I see, wow, we trigger each other. And we seem to have similar responses and things tend to go downhill. And I've noticed we go through these patches where I'll just, I see that. It can breed tension and conflict. And we all realize it's just, that's not healthy in a marriage. So when I go through these times, I notice this is a history, but it can feel like 
how that pattern is, is how it's always going to be. The past decides the future in my thinking. And since I'm very conflict-averse, which is a nice way of saying I'm a conflict avoider by nature, I just I don't go there. And so I'll just want to be on a nice, easy, comfortable level and not talk about the things that can bring up the conflict that throws us into a pattern that throws us into our past becoming the future. And so I just ignore it. I don't address or deal with the deeper waters because of my way of thinking. It's always going to be like that. It limits, I see it, it limits the depth of our marriage, our relationship. We can get into a space where we're very comfortable, where we're, we're doing well, but we're not really growing or transforming. So it's a challenge for me to do away, to understand there can be a new word spoken. Our future does not equal our past as long as we can change our thinking. I think we can also think of our family situation or a ministry situation as being unhealthy or toxic or cursed. And that can cause us to lose hope. I have a few friends who have viewed their church situation as so challenging and unhealthy that they are tempted to give up hope. To see a continued curse in the future because of what they perceive a consistent pattern in the past. But when we think about things in a whole new way, that repentance, it's suddenly easier to see God is at work, to see the situation that is adding to your personal transformation. It can, it can actually become a rich and evolutionary experience for you. Our mindset about our situation can metanoia so that you no longer see it from that cursed point of view. We are tactile beings. You find things that are physical that put things into a, a picture, right, that we can better understand. Throughout the centuries, Christians have often used physical things like a candle or like incense or a cross that you hold in your hand. It can be like flat bread and small little juice cups that have juice or like dropping salt into diseased water. You'll, uh, many of you were given little packets, hopefully all of you were given little salt packets when you came in this morning. If you don't, we have bowls of them outside. I want you to take these as a remembrance home with you to think about the salt, to maybe rip it open, pour it in your hand, pour it into a little glass of water. To, to help remind you to think of things in a whole new way. But we've also put a big bucket of water down here with a couple of bowls of salt. And I want to extend an invitation to anyone who wants to this morning. If you realize you've been living according 
to a destructive script that tells you that you are cursed, you are shamed, you aren't good enough, you're unloved. If you feel there's just no way you can break free, you need to drop some salt in that water and have a new day. Do you feel like you've come to the end of your own strength? You're at the point where you're saying to God, I need divine intervention. You're stuck in a pattern that you keep repeating. It's not holy. It's not reverent. You know it doesn't honor your heavenly Father. Sprinkle salt in the water to find God's strength, to remember the covenant, to claim the promise. Are there any narratives or stories that are guiding how you live? Bad stories or boring stories that are deciding your future. And it's sucking the life out of you. It's sucking the light out of you. If you, if you see someone you know going forward, and, and we're going to have time where, where we're going to sing and, uh, and just respond. Reflect in your heart, and if God so moves you, come on forward, grab some salt, sprinkle it in that bucket of water. And if you see someone else coming down, and you know them, go with them. Throw some salt in with them. And if you happen to know uh, the, uh, uh, if you happen to know the actual issues they struggle with, you might say, well, let's throw in some more salt on that one, right? <laughs> if those voices are swirling in your head, speaking a bad word, destructive word, an old word, and you need to hear a new word, please think about it. Even come forward. Throw some salt into the water. If there are cycles that need to be broken, beliefs you know are toxic, you need to repent of those beliefs. You need a powerful reminder that you can always start over with God. You don't need to carry that around any longer. Please come forward and sprinkle some salt in that water. Let's go ahead and sing together. Encourage my soul and let us journey on for the night is dark and I am far from home. Thanks be to God. And thanks be to God the my soul and let us journey on 
The storm is passing over. Don't you know the storm is passing over? Over the storm is passing over. is passing over don't you know the storm is passing over over the storm is passing over hallelujah encourage my soul